This podcast is sponsored by Primal Kitchen Restaurants, providers of fast, casual dining experiences where taste and the freshest ingredients always come first. To learn more about franchise opportunities, visit PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. That's PrimalKitchenRestaurants.com. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kern. Welcome, listeners, back to the Malibu studios. Uh, it's been a long time, but I'm here, your host, Brad Kearns, with one of our favorite guests, Mark Sisson. I better be your favorite guest. And boy, if you were on more frequently, maybe the, the voters would say so. But still, <laughs> you know what? We have so many classic shows in the archives, and I do want to put in a plug for that, because if you want a certain topic, like your very first podcast on Case Against Cardio, um, we did a covered a bunch of great nutrition topics in the past, and now we're coming along to the point where... We've pretty much covered it all. We've covered it all. And so, you know, personally, I enjoy listening to uh, just conversational podcasts where you're getting to know what the people are doing and what's on their mind. And there's always, you know, clamor for for that from you. Um, we've covered so many questions, though, and I think that's the, the main thing that we're thinking about is, hey, right. um, we got all the answers out there, but, um, you know, something's on my mind right now is kind of... What's on your mind, Brad? Reflecting and rethinking this lifelong commitment to fitness and peak performance I have. Yeah. Um, I'm a 50-year-old guy now. You're over 52, I understand, <laughs> from looking at the back I of your book. I am 10 years over, over 52, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some great things that are young man's games, and I would say racing on the tri-circuit or trying to run a 218 marathon is a, a great endeavor for a young man and has those many life qualities. Uh, but here I am now. I'm not trying to uh, win money on the circuit anymore. And my goals have shifted more from peak performance to peak performance and longevity. And that brings up sort of a conundrum, is how do you balance those two things? It's very difficult because especially to ha if you have the competitive mind, which you and I have both had, it's very difficult to put yourself into a space that doesn't want the maximum return for the amount of effort that you put in, uh, whether that's towing the line in a 100-meter dash, whether it's going up against uh, somebody in a one-on-one -on -one basketball game, whether it's playing ultimate frisbee with young people. Uh, at, when, whenever I'm in a situation where I'm going to start demanding my, of myself some uh, peak performance output, I don't put limits on it. Mm. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm in a 62-year-old body, but I'm still thinking like a 22-year-old kid. Like, okay, I'm just going to go all out and... As long as I don't get hurt, everything will be fine. Mm. Well, I've lived this way for, you know, for the last 62 years. But what I'm starting to notice, uh, and I think, you know, I, I started to come to this conclusion 15 or 20 years ago, which is, you know, you're not going to go to the gym and set a PR on the bench every single day for the rest of your life. <laughs> 
you know, theoretically, when you're in your 20s and 30s, yes, you can go and you can improve and improve and improve and get better and stronger and fitter. But at some point, there is a decline in fitness. There is a decline in your ability to recover from a workout or from a session. And, and the question becomes for me, what am I willing to live with in terms of that decline? Uh, so I've started to face my own mortality recently in mm-hmm. Frisbee games where I'm, I notice I'm slowing down a little bit and, and I'm not quite as on my game as I was five years ago or 10 years ago or even a year ago. Uh, and it's a little frustrating to me. So I, I guess I could have a couple of different responses to that. One of which would be to say, oh, hell with it. Let's just quit. Now's the time to good, good time to quit. The other would be, oh, to hell with it. I'm just going to push. I'm going to dig deeper. I don't want this, this decline to happen anymore. And, and then a third sort of middle of the road approach would be, um, you know, how can I continue to have fun? How can I continue to play and not get injured? How can I still be competitive, but be okay with dialing back the output? A little bit so that I don't hurt myself. Well, that reminds me of some, I'm looking at some of your notes. I, uh, this is a scoop, but you're working on some anti-aging type of material uh, project, book project coming up. And one thing that um, really uh, stuck with me was that story about Kyle uh, becoming better than you and faster than you at snowboarding. Yeah. And it was like the essence of aging gracefully because you're so proud of him and you're so amazed that he came from this little kid that you taught to snowboard and now you're going all out down the hill and you see out of the corner of your eye him blowing by you. Yeah, that was a it was a, a, a seminal it was a moment. Sweet. <laughs> it was a seminal moment in both of our lives. But it's one that it's it's a natural progression. You know, you want the student to surpass the teacher at some point. Uh, I think that's the essence of learning and that's the essence of teaching. And in this case, uh, it was a, uh, both a skill level and a, as a physicality. And it, was, and it was at a point at which we were racing down a hill. And I realized that I was not willing to risk going any faster to keep up with him. Because I knew the consequences of what would happen if I caught an edge. And he knew that and, he and, wanted dad to be still working and paying his college tuition. He didn't care. So he blew by you. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, you say it's a bittersweet moment, but that's that's a moment that uh, an athlete uh, encounters. I mean, remember, as a runner, um, I prided myself on never having been passed in a workout. So for seven years, that's a tough running 100 miles a week, I was never passed by anybody in a workout. And if even if I was doing a relatively slow workout, if someone came up from behind me and and was going to pass me, I wouldn't let it happen. Right. (laughs) So that happened for about seven years, and then finally someone passed me. So I shifted my, I shifted my my frame of reference to okay, I don't want anyone younger than me. Excuse me, <laughs> old, older than me, older than me to pass me. Right, right, right. Right. So, so then that happened, and then the, at some point, someone older than me passed me in a workout. And I thought, well, okay, this has happened. What's the next? So then it was, I don't want. A woman to pass me. Oh, a woman. Not to sound, the woman not to sound uh, faster than you. Didn't want a yeah. woman to pass me to work. And ultimately, it was, I don't want a woman older than me to pass me to work out. <laughs> and that's that's where I'm at now. So. I don't want a guy with a weighted vest to pass me on my <laughs> So I'm run, still yeah. a woman an old, a woman older than me with a weight vest on to pass me in, in oh, the Oh, boy. Yeah, so I've, yeah. I've, you know, you just sort of set your standards further and further out there over time. And and you have to be willing to do that. You have to, you have to own that acknowledgement that mm-hmm. at some point... 
uh, you're not going to be the same physical specimen you were, you know, in your 20s or 30s, but to be okay with doing with 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 performing well within the context of uh, being healthy and fit and and uh, and having fun mm-hmm. and not getting injured and all those things that we talk about. Uh, so it sounds like um, constantly recalibrating your fitness goals to fit in with not just your aging thing, but even for young people, your lifestyle circumstances. So I know. Now, now it's, as I'm hearing it back, it sounds like a cop out. Like I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing my disclaimers. Well, I, I, I went really fast and no one passed me who was older than me or, you know, or was that whatever. But the truth is um, you do have to recalibrate uh, on a regular basis. And, and I think that that's, that's as an athlete who has a mentality of winning and a mentality of, of competing at the highest level, that's a difficult point to reach where you're willing to dial it back and you're willing to say, I'm still going to give this everything I have, you know, within the context of my fitness level right now. Uh, and I'm going to be okay with the fact that I can't perform to the degree that I used to perform. But I'm also going to I'm I'm going to intend to have as much fun and enjoy this moment as much as possible, mm. and and for me it's finding that sweet spot of the enjoyment, um, getting f- feeling as if I I, I gave it uh, all that it was due, um, but also not getting hurt in the process, uh, not tearing myself down in the process. Because when we talk about longevity in sports, we're also talking about how you know how long can you continue to do this? We you and I know people who who haven't missed a day of mm. running for. 50 years, mm-hmm. you know, is that to them, that's, that, that has value. Um, I'm not sure. You know. Well, this is something that, uh, is important to second guess and I'll get to my story of this year in a moment. But, um, one thing that popped out recently was this outside magazine, uh, feature story online, uh, running on empty. It was called, you can Google it. We'll put the link in the show notes, but, um, it was revealing that there was a major cardiac risk factor for guys who have been going at it for a long time. And that was the risk that you're going 20, 30 years um, racing in the master's category. I think they featured Leonard Zinn, the famous uh, bike maker and author who's been a competitive uh, amateur bicycle racer for this many decades. And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal because um, maybe perhaps the heart isn't meant to, to bang that hard for more than that brief career that you see an elite has. I'll go you one better. I'm, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that, that definitively the heart is not designed to go that hard that fast for that many years. Uh, and that, you know, that, that in, in reflecting on what we just said uh, a few minutes ago about extracting the most from the, in the context of whatever it is you're doing at that time, um, you might say, well, okay, you know, sh- should I continue to do marathons into my 80s or 90s? And I don't know <laughs> what the answer is, yes or no, but, but, to, but to push hard and to max your heart rate out all the time is most likely not a good thing. I, you know, I've, I've been having premature ventricular contractions for years now. Um, they, they're not uh, pathological, uh, but they're annoying. And they're a result of, I'm sure, of, of the multitudes of times that I ran my heart rate up to max heart rate mm-hmm. in, in training, thinking it was a good thing for myself. Um, now, you're sure, and you might get a counter opinion from a doctor saying, oh, no, this is random, or what would they say about your assertion you just said? Oh, uh, that, it's, that it's not a good thing? No, that you, you think it's from, from hard training. And yeah. From, 
perhaps abusing uh, your, well, your limits I, or something. I'm just I'm, I'm making that statement uh, mostly intuitively, but I yeah. have enough uh, anecdotal evidence from 50 to 100 of my contemporaries who've uh -huh. had the same issues, uh -huh. uh, who are dealing with uh, you know either atrial fibrillation or a flutter or or, uh, or PVCs, premature ventricular contractions, uh, or you know worn down. Uh, uh, hip replacements, knee mm -hmm, replacements, things mm -hmm. like that. To to know that a lifetime of doing this as hard as you can, the body's not built to do that. Mm -hmm. um, the the question becomes, where's the sweet spot where mm -hmm. you can do it because it's good for you and healthy, and you still enjoy it, and you can still derive uh, the 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 benefits or pleasures of having competed at some level, even if it's with yourself. That's, that's, I think, one of my new challenges is to, is to find where that sweet spot is and to be okay with it. Um, but I've decided, for instance, that um, I'm not going to be running my heart up to 100% of max twice a week anymore, like I did for most of right. the, the last four right. years. Um, you know, you've had so many gains and benefits from that, but now uh, maybe you're going to draw this curve on a graph paper and say, hey, I, I don't need to do that anymore. And um, we had Phil Maffetone on the Endurance Podcast, and I, I challenged him on a major assertion that he made in his book where he said, you don't ever need to exceed 90% of max heart rate. And I'm like, wait a second, that's 20 beats different. So if I'm thinking back to all those hard track workouts and those 100% efforts that I still do with sprinting and adhering to the primal philosophy, that's a big difference between 90% and 100% when you're up there. And he says the return on investment for that extra stress of going from 90 to 100 is just not there uh, when, you're, when you're talking about even for peak performance for an uh, Olympian or someone who's looking to get the best out of themselves. Yeah, and that may be the case. Now, I don't know how you uh, argue that when you're talking about an a 800-meter runner who has to go into 100 max, you know, max heart rate for some period of time. Um, on the other hand, you could argue that, uh, like you and I discuss in, in Primal Endurance, our upcoming book, that going all out in sprints doesn't mean that you're rising, you're raising your heart rate all out. So right. doing 15, 15 seconds yeah. of all out sprinting isn't enough to achieve a max heart rate. Right. For and and it, even if it were, it wouldn't be for very long. Right. It would be, it would be a catch up. You'd at no point during the 15 seconds or even 20 seconds of sprinting would your heart rate ever max out. It might max out 10 seconds later as it's catching up to do mm -hmm. the work, but it's not. It's not being called upon to continue to do that for the next several minutes. And there's a huge distinction there. So mm -hmm. we're doing a max effort without a max heart rate. Right, right. And, and we're doing that by limiting the amount of time of the max effort to 15 or 20 seconds. So I, I would think that Maffetone might agree with something like that as well. Um, yeah, and he talks about in, in, re, in relation to like strength training in the gym and you're doing eight reps or something. Maybe your heart's going to max out while you're pacing around the floor. Um, and I think Dr. O'Keefe says this in his research and Peter Atia too, saying, you know, the, the risk factor there is that prolonged uh, high intensity uh, uh, cardiovascular work where yeah. you're doing your intervals or, um, you know, in, in your case, you were doing, um, you know, those, those Tempo time runs. trials yeah. and things like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think for anybody, um, the primal assertion holds true that you got to use it or lose it and, and, and go all out. But the key is to just got to be smart about it just in, in short duration. Yeah. Okay. I think, uh, those, this topic has been hit pretty well. If you're not clear about that now and the idea of recalibrating and, and balancing, Oh, I was going to say not just with, 
the aging, but let's say you're a student and you're taking on an MBA program or some rigorous course for the next two, three years, might not be the best time to go and try to blow out all your PRs in athletics as well. I mean, the best example I can remember of that was Duncan McDonald, who was the U.S. record holder in the 5,000 meters and uh, a big performer on the world stage, but was also in medical school. And at some point he said, I can't do both. He gave up running. And people said, wow, you're, you're like one of the best in the world. And, you know, why are you why are you giving up this great running career to go become a doctor? He goes, well, you know, ultimately nobody really cares about the the running. I do, but no, not really that many people care about the running. And I care a lot about about the um, about the medicine, so uh, it, it's an easy decision for me to make. Now he continued to run and he continued to you know to to have a a healthy career, but mm-hmm. that part of his world class competition, he just allowed that to shift based on the context of his life at that time. And and I think you know p- people tend to get um, wedded to this idea that I'm I'm this type of person and I'm this type of per- person for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. When in fact we have different phases of our lives. And you may have a phase where you're very competitive and athletic and then shift to a phase where you're a family person and you're taking care of kids. And particularly if you're a mother, you're, you're a mom, you know, a lot of stuff falls falls by the wayside so you can be the best possible mom you can. And in the context of that life, that's the right decision as long as you're okay with it. And I applaud women who make that decision. So to try and be, you know, the, the super mom who's taking care of the kids and has a job and is trying to compete in triathlons probably a bit too much you know there's probably something has to has to has to take a back seat so to recalibrate you know it's i think that's a good strategy and a good exercise every couple of years kind of recalibrate say where am i in my life what's important to me right now in my life and how do i prioritize these different things so that i get the greatest enjoyment out of life remember we are here for the sole purpose of enjoying as many moments as we can well, that's um, you, you've possibly touched on one of the major sources of stress in modern life is trying to do it all and be all to everyone and, and you know, cover all those bases and hit all those check marks. And that's, um, that's a pretty important thing to reflect on. I know that both of us can relate to that period of our lives where we were 100% athlete. And I remember getting some plush personal training clients, wonderful people that paid me a lot of money, and I had to go train with them a couple hours a week, and it was stressing me out because it didn't line up perfectly with my training schedule, and so I had to shift away from that and drop all these different business and educational opportunities because there was only one thing that I could focus on at that time, and I think the same could be said for especially parenting, especially hard-driving career people who were, um, you know, in, in some cases trying to you know, set a, set a comfortable future. And boy, maybe the fitness goals go by the wayside, but with the primal approach, you spend a couple hours in that and you're going to have more energy anyway to do whatever else you're trying to do. Well, that was the whole reason behind the primal blueprint in, from day one was how do I get the most amount of, of uh, you know, how do, how do I become strong, lean, fit, happy, healthy, and productive with the least amount of time, energy, investment, uh, discipline, sacrifice, and all the other, you know, negative words that we use. And so it's, it was about finding the hidden genetic secrets and, and, and that's what we do. But in order to incorporate that into a, into our lives, um, if you decide that you want to, you know, become more, uh, a, a better, uh, spouse or a better parent or a better, uh, worker in, in your work environment, and you still want to be, athletic you can you can have all those things you just sort of have to be smart about how you arrange them 
And what we've done with the Primal Blueprint is said, well, the, the, the fitness part is probably the easiest because it doesn't take that much time if you eat right. And if you eat right, you'll have enough energy and enough, you know, presence of mind to do, perform well at work and to be, uh, you know, loving in a relationship and all of the things that, that it's, it's sort of always comes back to, you know, diet is kind of the, the foundation mm-hmm. for a lot of this stuff. And then being fit and healthy doesn't take as much time as, as most people think it does. How about sleep? Can you skimp on that when no, you have you can't so many s- other things going? Yeah, can't, you can't skimp on sleep. Yeah. But, but you don't make apologies for it. You know, you just make time for it. I mean, sleep isn't, you know, exercise for a lot of people is hard. It's like they don't want to do it, not because they can't find the time, but because mm-hmm. it's hard. And so they choose not to find the time. Mm-hmm. But sleep isn't hard. Sleep is delicious. <laughs> sleep is great. Sleep is, and make no apologies for the amount of sleep you get. I think for me, it comes down to uh, a negotiation between my desire to be entertained with screen entertainment, and I have a long backlog in my Netflix queue and all the fun YouTube videos that I love to sit there. And it's it's like a trade-off between that and going to sleep. And sometimes it's a um, it's a it's a battle or a come to Jesus moment where it's like, look, what are you all about, dude? Are you is it that important for you to keep up on this series or to adhere to probably the number one. I mean, we got to the end of this Primal Endurance book and we're editing through all the things. And um, there's a statement in the in the back saying, look, if, if you're not sleeping right, p- please disregard the previous 327 yeah. pages of this because yeah. why talk about anything? Yeah. No, sleep is critical. Um, so let me uh, hit you with a few rapid fire questions and we'll um, put together a nice tidy show. One of them is, a lot of our listeners are, you know, involved or very familiar with the CrossFit movement as well or the endurance scene. And both of them have been booming like crazy for, you know, this entire decade. From the sidelines or from, from the observation point, it seems like there could be some um, extremeness to both of those that uh, predict some attrition. In other words, people getting too gung-ho about this stuff may be getting out of balance. What do you see about the future of things like CrossFit and the endurance movement in general? I think they're both here to stay. And I think uh, the I think that the outliers at the extreme are the ones who will probably see the greatest attrition. In other words, if you hit this so hard that you get injured, you get burned out, you're going to you're going to get disillusioned and move on. If you're taking it uh, easy and trying to do it mostly to have fun and for the social engagement, uh, whether it's, you know, Spartan racing or doing a wad at your local uh, CrossFit box, um, you know, there's, that's a, that's a healthy attitude to have, and I don't see much burnout happening there, um, un, you know, until the next big thing comes along. But, uh, I see a lot of people doing as, as many of these things as they can now. I see people doing, you know, two CrossFit workouts a week, and then they do a Soul Cycle <laughs> class, and then they do a yoga class, and then they enter a Spartan race on the weekend. I mean, that's a great, that's a great lifestyle. Uh, you know, if you're doing it just to have fun. If you're trying to be a, a pro at it, it's probably a bit much. Okay. All right. Um, oh, another thing was your Paleo FX talk, which was many months back, but it was an interesting topic, and I think it was uh, really well received. People were uh, reflecting about it a lot afterwards, and I, I guess the essence of your talk was that we have to be careful here in this movement with the enthusiasm to avoid that extreme approach. Um, there's even a term for it called orthorexia, which is an obsession with avoiding unhealthy foods, and it can get out of hand and become a clinical diagnosis of an extremely high stress and unpleasant lifestyle because you're so fixated on being healthy. 
Well, like I say, a little orthorexia is a good thing. <laughs> but especially in, in the modern world. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, no. I appreciate that plug. Yeah, yeah. What I realized in the last several years of, uh, of blogging and doing podcasts and talking to people was that uh, a lot of people have gotten so caught up in the dogma of paleo and primal and trying to do it right that they lost the joy and they started to resent their meals and not, and not, uh, you know, feel, feel like, uh, any deviation from strict paleo was, was, was counterproductive to their overall goal of long-term health. And, and it's not, it, it doesn't have to be that way. This is really about, um, having fun, enjoying life, enjoying every bite of food you consume, um, and doing so with the understanding that, um, I'm going to make a decision right now, a choice that serves me well in the immediate uh, future and also doesn't derail me uh, in the, in, you know, for the rest of my life, doesn't, doesn't take minutes off my life, for instance. Uh, and, and with that understanding, you make decisions intuitively that feel good in the moment, but that you know are, may or may not be good for you in the long run. But if you make a decision that isn't necessarily great for you in the long run, you still, you're okay with it. You still understand that you made the decision fully conscious of the potential outcome. Um, you know, if you had half of a cigarette with a friend that you hadn't seen since high school, you're not going to die of lung cancer tomorrow. Uh, you're not a bad person. And if that felt right in the moment and you're not going to start smoking two packs a day as a result of it, then, then who am I to say that that's even a bad decision? Maybe in the moment that was a wonderful decision to, to share, you know, uh, a historical half a, half a cig with a buddy. Uh, that, that in the context of, of everything else going around you was the right decision at that time. So really it's about just, um, being okay with the, with the choices that you make and enjoying life as much as you can with, with a through line being as long as the majority of my choices, uh, benefit me and, and, uh, serve me well in terms of longevity and health and fitness, then, then, then I'm here to have the most fun I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's possible that, um, people might get off track when they're rationalizing that decision over and over and using their, their four aces in their hand. Uh, for example, back to that screen time versus sleep example, if you get into the pattern of staying up too late and watching those shows on, on a repeated basis, and then you're kind of tired and you, you lose your willpower or you lose your resolve to adhere to those healthy lifestyle things. And same with food. Like uh, we talk about if you're trying to cut insulin and, and cut body fat, it's a cut and dried situation. It's not a half-ass. You're not going to succeed very well if you make a half-ass effort to cut out grains and sugars. Right. So there's some time and place for that flexibility. But it seems to me like that's talking to someone who's already built a lot of momentum. Yeah. And it's also it, it, the, the truth, the sad truth for some people. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it comes down to what you can get away with. So some people mm. can get away with eating more sugar than others, and some people can get away with staying up later than others, and some people can get away with uh, drinking one more glass of wine than others. And you, you know, a person has to know his or her limitations. And once you, once you are aware of those limitations, based on the experiment of one that you have conducted over the years, uh, and you, the knowledge that you have, the self awareness that you have, the mindfulness that you have then it's not a big deal to make those decisions. And so you say, well, I'm a person who, you know, I can't eat any amount of ice cream or else I'll eat the entire bowl. Mm -hmm. Another person might say, well, I can have two, two bites of ice cream and I'm good for the night. And by the way, I'm good for the week. That's all I needed. The ice cream looked great. I had, I had it. Yes, I got what that was all about. The taste sensation was awesome. And I can walk away from it. 
you just have to sort of know where you where you fit in that in that uh, scheme. Right, right. And also, how how does it make you feel? Because I feel like with my cheesecake example that I bring up, um, I love the stuff. It's delicious, Cheesecake Factory, and there are many flavors. But I've noticed now that I've let it uh, slide. For, you know, I, I don't I don't eat it hardly at all. Maybe once every six months, and when I do. I have noticeable negative effects in yeah. the hours after because I'm so sensitive to sugar now yeah, yeah. that it's out of my diet. Well, that's the good news. Bad news is that, is that the cleaner you make your diet, <laughs> oh, the boy. more noticeable it is mm-hmm. when you go off that clean mm-hmm. diet. Um, here's another one. Uh, once in a while, you um, present the idea of the primal paleo living. Um, now there's some great mainstream general awareness. The person you're sitting next to on the plane, although the person I sat next to last night had never heard of it at all, total blank. But most people have heard of primal or paleo. And if they get the wrong, if they get a uh, distorted exposure to it, sometimes that's a negative. Like they'll call it the caveman this and the caveman that. And they'll think of, they'll picture someone with huge muscles climbing the rope at CrossFit and eating uh, boiled eggs all day. <laughs> um, so I wonder... Um, does this movement need an angle or can we immerse into mainstream culture by just talking about the importance of getting rid of bad foods and non-chronic exercise and, and sleeping more and, and lightening up the, um, that, that connection to Grok the Caveman? Yeah, well, I think it's had an angle for the last 10 years. And, and that, that angle or those angles have been paleo and primal. So those were the sort of um, the, the foot in the door that we needed uh-huh. to get in with uh, with, through, whether it was through books or whether it was through podcasts or blogs or TV shows, um, it was even even the association with a caveman was enough to raise eyebrows for uh, an unsuspecting public that wasn't receptive to that sort of information yet. Now that we've gone seven or ten years down this road, I don't think we need those gimmicks anymore, and I think paleo may even fade away as a uh, mm. as a generic term i'm hoping primal will stay cuz primal <laughs> blueprint is a brand mm-hmm. and um, you know i've got a lot of things going on with uh, with the primal blueprint brand but either way this is really at its essence it's about clean living it's about clean food uh, unadulterated food it's about uh, you know spending more time with family and friends as opposed to uh, entertained with digital devices uh, it's about spending more time out in nature so there's that ancestral um, evolutionary um, uh, bent that it has, but the reality is that that and we and we're headed in that direction. We regard regardless of what we call it, whether we call it ancestral or paleo or primal, uh, there is a recognition that real food is better than processed food. That's not going to go away. Uh, that um, you know that there is a recognition that the more time we spend face to face, looking in in each other's eyes. Uh, the better off we are. I don't know if that's not going to go away because I think the digital thing is 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 going down a real rabbit hole right now. Yeah. But um, in terms of diet, anyway, I think people are recognizing that real food is where it's at. Um, what's the rabbit hole? What do you see there? Because I have some strong concerns, especially with children. They're both teenagers now, and you always reference back to your own upbringing. When I was a yeah. kid. Yeah. And it's you kids uh, get off my oh. lawn. <laughs> now it's like. Those references are, uh, they're, they're getting bludgeoned by the, the digital world, including things like uh, per, interpersonal relationships, as well as the lack of activity and the, the, the number of hours that one's nose is in the screen. And um, as you complain and lament, you realize that as, an, as an adult, you're setting an example and all adults that influence kids are setting an example. So it seems to me we're in trouble too. Well, it, it doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, I'm sure my parents, when I was wearing uh, paisley shirts 
and sporting hair down to my butt uh, right. and wearing gold, you know, bell bottoms. Shaking uh, their heads. In the counterculture and listening to that rock and roll music that they were like, uh, you know, what is this world coming to? So, yeah. uh, you know, while it didn't feel good to them and I turned out all right, um, this whole digital thing doesn't feel good to me right now, mm. but maybe it will turn out all right. I don't know. Um, I just, I, I do sense that we've lost that that personal connection that our hardwiring so craves mm. among us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the pendulum might have to swing in an extreme direction because we're still in the digital explosion era. And as it becomes commonplace, maybe then, maybe then and only then we'll start to really power down with more uh, devotion as we realize that nature's out there waiting for us and, and all that. Well, I hope so. Mark Sisson, thanks for a nice tight show here in the Malibu studios. Always a pleasure. And, and thanks, Brock Armstrong, for all your hard work at the helm and uh, backstage doing all the audio for all the shows to date. And pretty soon he's moving on. We're going to miss him. Uh, but you have a legacy forever at blog.primalblueprint.com. So go back and listen to some of those old shows, too. Da -da 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 -da. In a supermarket full of mayo options, how do you know which one to pick? Well, there's an easy answer. The one that tastes good and is good for you. But here's the problem. Almost all store-bought mayonnaise contains industrial seed oils or eggs raised from hens treated with added hormones and antibiotics. Not exactly the best recipe for good health. Luckily, there's a new mayo creating a ton of buzz. It's called Primal Kitchen Mayo and contains only the finest superfood ingredients, including all-natural avocado oil and organic cage-free eggs. So no more trading good health for great taste. Go to primalblueprint.com today and pick up a three-pack. As an added bonus while supplies last, enter the code FREEBOOK at checkout to receive a free copy of Mark Sisson's Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings Cookbook with any three-pack mayo order.